You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife, with always typical lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1981 carnival slasher masterpiece the fun house yeah 1981 were you born yet no i was not alive in 1981 i didn't think so (laughs) i was six in 1981 probably five because i'm a december baby Oh, okay, okay. I always forget that, that I'm actually usually a year younger than anything I've said mm-hmm, that I am. Mm-hmm, so I'm a big fat liar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember seeing bits and pieces of this and I must have been like sleeping on a couch or on a floor or something at a sleepover or when my parents watched it or something. Because I remember little bits and pieces and it's not necessarily from the trailer, I don't think, because uh, they're really weird bits. And I remember the opening sequence. Yeah. And then I guess I fell asleep. <laughs> but yeah, I am so glad that you put this on the list. Yeah, I put this on the list. Actually, there's a, a there's it's funny why I put this on the list. I put this on the list ages ago when we were first compiling a list. I think it was a, one of the first times that you had put everything in a spreadsheet. Yeah. And I think that I had a link to it and I just started adding films. And originally what I wanted to do, because as you guys know, or maybe you don't, but as you guys might know, is that when we started the show, we put films in moratorium that we weren't really ever going to do. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre was one of them. And also probably, although I never really would have said it to myself or to you, but probably something like Poltergeist would have been as well. So when it came to Toby Hooper's work, I definitely wanted to talk about it. So I thought that, well, The Fun House might be a good alternative. That or Eaten Alive. But I think that The Fun House would have gone over a hell of a lot more with you because it's got elements that you really enjoy. It's got elements of something wicked this way comes in a Mm. huge way uh, to the tune that one of the extras on the disc that you have is even called something wicked this way comes. So they're not shying away from that illusion. Uh, I had to had this book in the house when I was little. It was my mom's and my grandmother's. Mm-hmm. The Dean Koontz novelization. Ah, Dean Koontz, you say. Where's all those Dean Koontz horror books that you like so much? Well, this one was under a pseudonym of Owen West, so we'd have never known. We wouldn't have known. known. I do remember reading this after, a couple years after I would have seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enjoyed the book very much. I even lent it out to friends and stuff. Oh. And this, when I first read my first Richard Lehman, I was like, oh, it's like that Funhouse book that I liked so fucking much. Okay. So, yeah, it was, this movie is, Toby Hooper is the reason I like Richard Lehman so much. Oh, wow. Small world. Yeah. It's a weird small world. And it is a small world. Watching this, you see so many similarities just to family dynamics and things like that and, and freakishness. And having children born with deformities. Mm-hmm. In, in, it seems to be a, a trend with this Toby Hooper fella. Mm-hmm. Toby Hooper definitely, especially early on in his career, liked to put things that he personally found probably disturbing in these films. Perhaps if these scare me, then maybe they'll scare others. And also he was coming off of a massive fucking hit back in the day with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so people wanted more. He, didn't, he had done Eaten Alive. Did all right, but it didn't light the world on fire. And 
it was time to do another or a big studio production. And that's where Funhouse comes in. He didn't have all the money in the world to make this film, but he definitely had a bit. And it's almost like a make or break for him. It's almost as if studios were saying, all right, we know you can make a, a film on 16 millimeter and it can light the world on fire. And we know that you can handle horror and special effects and you can come in on time and under budget. But what are you actually going to do with a studio backing you? And this was uh, produced or this was distributed by Universal. So this was Universal telling Toby Hooper, we want a hit. We want a horror hit like Paramount's Friday the 13th, which seems to be the song that a lot of people were singing after that movie was released. We know that Halloween in 1978, which Toby Hooper is clearly a fan of, really reinvented what a horror movie could be and introduced the world to a big bad way to the slasher on a grand scale. That is undeniable whether or not you feel Halloween is the first true slasher or not. The reach of it is very noteworthy. Friday the 13th even more so because they had the muscle of Paramount Pictures distributing that film. And so it got put into every theater and it made a fuck ton of money. And so everyone was like, okay, horror, slasher, let's go. Universal Pictures plucks Toby Hooper, who already has massive success doing this film, and says, okay, what do you got? And this is what he had, the funhouse. What has he got? William Finley, the guy from Dionysus in 69, <laughs> who had appeared in, on Broadway naked in front of a teeming millions because people went to see that over and over and over. So they got a super duper celebrity. We wouldn't know his name now. We have no idea what Dionysus in 69 is. Like mm -hmm. no one I know seems to know this except like retired history professors of mine who went to see it twice when it was playing in 1968. Because yeah. they're that old and they're that cool that they went to see what was basically... I've heard that there was penetration, but a penetrationless orgy uh, conducted live in the round. So... I mean, they've got this guy who at the time, in 1981, everyone would be like, oh, William Finlay, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. well, I want to see him. Like, If you think so, about it, going to a nightclub is kind of like a penetrationless orgy. It is like a penetrationless orgy, orgy, and if you take all their clothes off, that's basically Dionysus in 69. Whoa. I'm into it. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> me not so much but i'm very into uh william finley's bit part in this which is super cool and at the time that would have been a huge huge draw aside from the toby hooper and people wanting to recreate the the thrills spells and chills i guess that they got from texas chainsaw massacre mm -hmm. and there are vestiges there are of texas chainsaw massacre in here there are recurring themes that toby hooper likes to talk about toby hooper likes to talk about Deformity. Toby Hooper likes to talk about family. Toby Hooper likes to talk about alternative close-knit families, the social others and from the mainstream. infiltrating this idyllic, if not very carnivalesque, sort of way of life that they've had to cultivate just to create some sort of lifestyle for themselves on the fringe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And ghoulishness. Yeah. If not... Um, you know, some sort of like that weird sexuality that he's got going on where the the rape is questionable, whether there is rape being committed or not. But there is a huge curiosity 
toward like the sexuality of these outsiders, meaning mm-hmm. you and I, <laughs> mm-hmm. to those these people on the fringes, and the questionable cannibalism. Mm-hmm. No question in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, straight up, you know, yeah, like yeah, 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 they selling the meat, yeah. but. Here, you know, you sort of, because of the deformities involved and because of the transient nature of the carnival worker, and I didn't see any food there. I saw a box of fruit-flavored loops. (laughs) But other than that, you know, what are they eating? If you think about it that hard, not those hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cotton candy. It's true. And as this narrative and this story will tell us, there is a history of death. That seems to follow this particular carnival. Those twin girl guides, two girls in Fairfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's no secret. It's made the news. And Amy's father warns her away from it when he thinks she's going to the carnival. Mm-hmm. Now, when this film opens up, we got a couple of homages here going on. One, I've seen homage so many times that you almost give it a pass. Shower scene, knife whatever yeah another one you see far less often and is very i'm not going to say distracting because that seems like a negative but it definitely is a situation where you tend to notice it more and that is you got a kid maybe we don't know it's a kid but we got a kid going through his bedroom full of fucking ventriloquist dummy heads and rubber spiders i love this room fake shrunken heads and like a little torture chamber wall, which I don't think any parent would let any kid of his age, about eight years old, get away with. I really thought it was a room of a, a little older person. Yeah. Um, just because of all the torture devices. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really love that room. It's I a, do. It's a good room. It's a Lydia little girl room. It's like Chibi Lydia. You're going to be, that's your bedroom, right? Yeah. And Like Sunako from Wallflower. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have... Uh, a sequence in which a mask, a clown mask, no less, is put over a face. And then we see a POV shot with two eye holes and some heavy mask breathing as they walk towards uh, a, a, a nubile, young, naked woman. Like an older sister's bedroom at that. So mm-hmm. like, like I'm thinking killer POV through a mask, eyes walking into sister's bedroom while mm. she's naked. I am seen this before but i'm not sure where so perhaps reminiscent of another movie that we've seen before maybe Mm. one that came out just right before yeah yeah absolutely that's the thing when you think about nowadays if you were to do it people might actually think that that's kind of quaint and cool but toby hooper is making no bones about the fact that he loved halloween oh he's also making no bones about the fact that this kid we're encountering is a huge fan of halloween Mm -hmm. and horror movies in general this kid knows the Mm -hmm. psycho shower scene Mm -hmm. he almost he almost is is coming off as the killer in terror train to me because he's got the trench coat and like the weird crappy halloween mask so there's three movies yeah right but yeah, he's a fan. We can agree. But I think he's also just establishing the character. Because there's a lot of little things he does that you can tell he's writing so that we can get as much character study as possible. Mm-hmm. He must have had copious notes because the novelization is a lot deeper as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens, right? You create backstories and flesh out these characters. And when you're writing a script, you probably know... 
that 90% of this is never going to make it to the final product. But for you as the writer, and especially if you're writing this or directing this or whatever, you are, you need all of that information or some people need all that information to make everything just seem a little bit more real to you, which is usually a shame because a lot of times when people complain about slasher movies, it is a lack of characterization. It is the lack of any real backstory towards anyone. And so they usually default into this attitude of whatever. It's teenagers. They're They're, disposable. They're disposable. They're getting killed. It's a dumb killer in a mask. No one cares. And it's just, and then they say it's an excuse for nudity, violence, depravity, penetrationless orgies, whatever you want to call it. You really like that idea, huh? I do, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, too bad it's not 1968 anymore. I wrote two character studies recently for a short story that I just finished and submitted and had accepted, actually. Ooh la la. Yeah, it happened really quickly and I'm really glad. I'd been invited to participate in an anthology earlier in the year which I was very proud of just to be invited. So the story was due on the 15th and I got it in the day before, which I was also proud of. And it was accepted on my vacation while we had a week off. I was Mm -hmm. vacationing in glorious Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, Post snowstorm Stella. Yeah. That was the worst. Um, But yeah, I wrote probably 600 words for each of the two main characters. The other people don't even have names, so they don't count. But like the two main characters... And barely a lick of it outside of their professions is in the story. Now, of course, if an editor comes back and asks me to flesh something out, at least I've got something. Mm-hmm. But it's so useful because it, it, it directs you on how their dialogue is going to fall. Always. Mm-hmm. So I think it's super important to have. And I got to see some of the, um, the box set, the Guillermo del Toro box set for his Spanish films. And his character studies for the characters in Kronos, yeah, which were was really wonderful to get a chance to read. So I know that he's been very active on Twitter, posting a lot of character biographies for a lot of different films, everything from Pan's Labyrinth to Kronos to Pacific Rim. He's been saying, "Here, here's a bunch of information," because people seem to really get engaged about what his original ideas for some of these characters would be that didn't make it into the final cut of the film. I got to read it when I was visiting with Chris, Chris from Bind Torture Cast, who was the most gracious host, mm-hmm. showing me some of the amazing sights of Pennsylvania, a lot of burnt down buildings in the countryside. That was my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And Centralia. And one thing that ties into this film very, very much as far as the sideshows and oddities and the two-headed cows and things like that we visited the muter museum which is one thing entirely but after leaving the muter museum and seeing pickled punks or um, wet specimens i suppose you would call them all the fetuses and jars and babies and Mm -hmm. conjoined twins and macroencephalitis and all those beautiful things ovarian cysts bigger than your head wes wow wonderful several of those i know they got ovarian cysts like every corner of that building is great but uh, on South Street, we stumbled upon this little place called Bizarre Bazaar, which was rather bizarre. Oh. Only hours earlier, I was telling him about the serial killer Bob Berdella, who mm, was active okay. in 1988 in Kansas. Mm-hmm. He had a place called Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. And inside, I guess he killed quite a few people, but there was at least three human skulls for sale in his store that when they arrested him, 
forensically they identified as as victims and who knows what else if he had like real human teeth you know it was probably from a young boy he killed it was just absolutely fucked up so i was very big on this bob's bizarre bizarre because it, I, it had been on some podcast i was listening to on my way down on the drive down through the fucking snowstorm so to stumble upon a place called bizarre bizarre was just fantastic especially when the signs outside told us about an auditorium in the back and it was full of the the false representations of things like pickled punks. It was obviously like a rubber doll in a jar. And it was obviously like the two-headed squirrel. I think there was a seam up the back of it, you know, stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. All sorts of... That's what makes like it good that. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it made it super fun. Like they had Bigfoot's finger, question mark. And then my brain is like, that's Bigfoot's dick. And then my other brain was like, Bigfoot doesn't exist, dumbass. And I'm like, well, maybe he does. They have his finger, question mark. You know, like... I, I love shit like that. Love, love, love. They had a two-headed turtle. Oh. Two-headed turtle in a bell jar. My heart melted. Um, so it was really cool to see that and then to be watching the fun house where we get the representations of that and actual live two-headed cows, which aren't all that uncommon. So if you want to see the two-headed painted turtle and have your heart melted too, you can go to 720 South Street in Philadelphia. Get out there, Philadelphia. You know... um, it's funny that these aspects would be into your life. I guess it's not that funny because you like all this kind of stuff. It's why I picked this movie is because I knew that there was these elements within this film. But I didn't look at a two-headed cow, you know, the week before that. That's true. All my life growing up, I wanted so badly there to be born a two-headed cow or two-headed goat right in front of me because I knew how common it was. And I never got to see it outside of places like sideshows and stuff. And that was even rare. Petting zoos once in a while. Or they'd have like a six-horned goat or something like that. Which was another favorite of mine. But yeah, to have just last week been staring eye to eye with the Borneo Devil Man from the South Seas. Let alone two-headed turtles. Hmm. I really liked that two-headed turtle. It was really cute. And the Muter Museum specifically, with um, the one of the special exhibits that they have on right now is about monstrosities and some of the medical explanations for things that we would have considered monsters. Yeah, that definitely ties into this film right now. But anyways, Lydia, what is this movie even about anyways? It is about how you shouldn't fuck around and lie to your dad, ever. I guess it is kind of about that. <laughs> well, that's the moral I got. So as this movie, as we mentioned, opens up with little boy pranks on his older sister. With a rubber knife. Yeah, the psycho scene is with a rubber knife. And his sister doesn't really seem to be completely aware of that. I mean, he is a little boy. and I mean, it seems like this is probably something that he does often enough. Where his sister is minding her own business, showering, and then he opens up the shower and tries to pretend that he's going to kill her. Pretty yeah, weird. but it's. I think it's more that like she was naked. It is. It is kind of weird. I we had a very um, body not positive in uh, household, so it was like when people were showering or in the bathroom or like if their bedroom door was closed, you don't bother them and don't go downstairs unless you're fully dressed and all that kind of shit so none of that i agree with because i'm all about nudity everywhere but the bathroom is sacrosanct and i'm not the person who wants people to be barging in 
especially during a shower. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, when you're flossing, that's not for anyone else's eyes. That's your own private time. The bathroom is the break room from life. You you should be allowed to be left alone and not talk to anybody and not. Well, that's not the break room from life, but that's where you're going to go fart or something. Mm-hmm. Let alone be naked when you know, no one like no no no. Listen, I totally agree with her freaking out entirely only because she was in the bathroom and naked. He doesn't get it. He's just having fun. Mm-hmm. I wish he had a retractable knife. That's what my cousin used to have. We used to I, stab each other all the fucking time right I, in the temple as hard as we could. Yeah, I yeah. used to have a... I feel like the handle of that would eventually hurt. But yeah, I had a, a retractable little. knife as well. You can get bruised from them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I probably had bruises in my side. Because we'd basically punch each other with it. But it was, it was fun. We are having fun. Well, that's good. I can tell you who else is going to be having fun tonight. Amy. She has a hot date. A hot date, you say? With whom? Buzz. What? Oh, he works at a gas station, doesn't he? That's a right. A filling station. A filling station. Yep. No real aspirations. Well, I, that's good. Amy doesn't mind getting filled, that's for sure. <laughs> he doesn't need aspirations. All he needs is that hot bod and that tight, tight shirt. Oh, my God. That tight, tight T-shirt. Man, Buzz, what do you got to say about him? You know, this guy... I'm instantly on the side of the dad. <laughs> Not because he uh, pumps gas for a living. That's fine. It's a noble profession. And someone's got to fucking do it. But Gods and clods. Yeah, exactly. But I tell you, I don't dig a dude that shows up to the front of someone's house. Anybody's house. It doesn't matter if you're picking up a lady for a date. It doesn't matter if you're seeing your friends. It doesn't matter what you're there for. Don't honk your horn. I don't know, like, okay, so basically in 1981, you don't have a cell phone, so you can't just call someone. He's in the car. There's no really other way to do it other than, oh, I don't know, get up and go to the front door. But if her parents don't seem too keen on him. If you are in a, well, I'm going to give fucking dating advice. If you are in a situation in which your significant other, someone that you're dating or whatever's parents do not approve of you, then this type of behavior really is doing nothing but proving their point. They already think that they already think less of you. And if you stomp your feet, say, fuck them, who needs them? I'm going to just honk the horn from outside the car because they don't like me anyway. You are dehumanizing yourself, proving their point. Go to the front door. Look at me. I am dating your daughter or your son or whomever. I am a good person. And the second that they see you as a person and not as your job or the way you dress, or some of your mannerisms, the second they see you as another person, which they can relate to. And remember, parents aren't perfect. They're people. People are imperfect. People can make imperfect decisions based on you. They're being protective of their child. That's not uncommon. Don't prove their point. Unless you're planning a Mickey and Mallory sort of thing, and you're going to go across country in a killing spree after offing them, yeah. then you can just really do whatever you like. And I don't mean to I don't mean to chastise people for like whatever. I'm not qualified to tell anyone how to date. I, I get it. And I, I saw how this rubs you the wrong way. A lot of weird 80s dating sensibility rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> you should write a book about how to date in, in 2017. Really, I think that an uh, etiquette book. I think that any anyone who anyone who listens to the show who has ever dated me, thanks for listening. I think they would find it laughable if anyone would be like, yeah, Wes can give dating advice. I'm just saying that even beyond dating advice, I just think that the last thing you want to do is come off as like this brackish dick. And 
I, when he, we get into the car with him, I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Do I like this guy? Do I not like this guy? I don't know. I don't fucking like Buzz at all. He's a good-looking dude. He's got some muscles. He's got some muscles on top of muscles. He's got some wavy blonde hair. All right. I, I get it. I get it. He's like this Barney Rubble Han Solo hybrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's here. Barney Solo. And uh, what I guess is I don't like about him is the fact that after Amy gets the warning about this carnival... Yeah. Which and, and she's very forthcoming about that. Last going. year two girls were missing from the carnival. This carnival in Fairfield. This traveling carnival. And it really seems to be it sticks with her. She is the type of person that I I, I mean, I was gonna I was thinking that we were gonna get more of a vibe of you know, like last house on the left where where, you know, the the, the girl's very dismissive of her parents and says, fuck it, relax and you know, is mocking how um overly cautious they're trying to get her to be and of course that uh, i guess that in a way leads to her downfall in that film but in this film amy seems to take her father's warning sincerely and tries to deviate the date to a film watch a movie now to me i would much rather go to a movie any day of the week rather than go to a carnival no carnival i'd rather just do neither but carnival for sure for sure especially late night carnival where there's a fun house and freak show no, that's not my scene. Too many people. Like... I hate the people. I fucking hate the people. But I could, I'd rather go where they're going to be walking in one direction or another and not being forced to sit in a room with them. Um. Yeah. I can walk away from them or wait till the crowd disperses. At least. And I'd much rather see a two-headed cow any day than most films and theaters. Thank you very much. But she doesn't shy away from it either. She tells him straight up, like, we could go see a movie because that's what I told my dad we were doing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like shy away that she's a goody goody. Mm-hmm. I, I like her for that quite a bit. Um, I guess the special features of the deleted scene made you feel a little bit better about Buzz. It does. The the, the deleted scenes um, on this film definitely change the dynamics, and it definitely makes her parents come across as way more disapproving than they are to me. Right in this in the way that the movie sits now, it's a little bit more waspy, and it's a lot of assumptions. And in this film, they're directly, sorry, in the cutscenes, they're directly saying, oh, so you pump gas. Is that going to be what you're going to be doing for a living? Yeah, and... they're super assholes. And he mans up and goes to the door. Yeah, he, he goes does to meet the door. her parents. So it makes you feel like. Yeah, he's he's more patient and yeah. polite in the car with her afterwards, too, as opposed to this time. He is just. Why? Like why? Well, he called him a brackish dick, and I like that. He yeah. Because he is brackish. Yeah. Um. They they painted him very well like that. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for Buzz. Yeah. Because for a guy with a nickname, you sure don't like him. <laughs> I know. Oh man, if fucking if this was slick, I'd be all about it. Yeah, but I don't know. I I don't have a care either way for Buzz. Really, he seems to try to be chivalrous later. But he does, and and I will say that. Okay, so I guess ultimately when the chips are down, Buzz is not a bad dude. It's just that he comes off as the type of person that I wouldn't really want to hang out with. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't want to hang out with him either. He wears that tight white t-shirt and drives a charger. And it's just like, I don't know, he's way too big. I don't like I don't like him for that. I wouldn't want to hang out with him. But I, I don't like a lot of people, so that doesn't really stick out to me. What do you think of Richie and Liz? Richie and Liz are... Wow, they sort of round out this guy. They seem like a good couple, I guess. I mean, Richie is that dude that just thinks everything is 
well, I'm going to conservatively say 50 to 60% funnier than it actually is. <laughs> I've been called a laugh whore in my life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even a laugh slut. A laugh slut. I just give it up for anybody. That's what I've been told. Okay. This guy is even worse than I am. He's laughing at a fucking Barney Solo's jokes that aren't really even that funny. This dancing hot plate duck joke that he seems <laughs> really, really keen on. That this is a good joke. I kind of, The thing I do like about the hot plate duck joke is that later on when you're seeing the dancing girls and the hoochie coo and there's a lot of moves that Frankie... I don't know what the name of the the deformed son is. Oh, good. I just keep calling him Frankie. Yeah, because he's like, because he's dressed as Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, that's Gunther Twyvon, but I don't remember hearing his name, so I'm gonna call him Frankie. Okay, sure. Like, someone can come and smack me if it's like totally heresy, if it's blasphemy to do that. But I'm gonna call him Frankie. So some of the moves that he makes later on in this, when he's getting a little more physical in his role. Uh, remind me of what a duck would look like if it was forced to be standing on something heated up by a hot plate that would make it look like it's dancing. So his little <laughs> hot plate duck dancing joke is is ridiculous. Um, but it, it's something for them to talk about. You know, it's more than like, so I says to Mabel. I said. <laughs> you know, it's funny because at the I like that they cut to Buzz and Amy later. And he's really just, okay, no, see... So it, the duck on the hot plate, he's really trying to get her to laugh. Amy, what do you got to say about Amy? She's uh, distracted? Somewhat distracted. I think she just really internalizes everything. And I like her character for that because there's people who wouldn't get people like that or would hate introverts like that. And there's a lot of scenes like, like this where it appears that she's half listening and then she's like, look, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> she's not reacting, but she gets it. So she has yeah. to tell him yeah. what's going on in her in her mind because she obviously neglects to do that very often. But there's even earlier where she's he's telling. I think it's probably the first time he's telling the duck on a hot plate joke. Yeah, and she he's like Earth to Amy or mm-hmm. like yeah, uh, you know. Um, she spends a lot of time just looking at things and not saying much. And there's times when they're having very serious conversations amongst all four of them and she's just zoned right out and says one line that is nothing to do with what they're talking about yeah especially even even before the horror of this film even begins when they're driving in the car together i mean we got laughter and pot smoking and jokes about hot plates and ducks and the place is going ape shit but she is in the front seat, vacantly looking out the window as they drive. And it's not as though she's not down for shit. She likes Buzz. These are her friends. Yeah. That we we find out in a cutscene that... So this is what I look like on film. That's what I'm getting <laughs> from this. Because this is how I behave a lot of the time. Yeah. So it, it really makes it seem like she doesn't want to be there. But, I mean, it's she likes Buzz. I mean, she's she has no problem sleeping with him and dating him, and 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 we've seen that she has fire and passion in her. She is not a muted woman. She screams at her brother. Oh yeah, th- threatens him. It really yeah. and and does not does not really put up with his fucking shit. So she's not some sort of um, what do you call it? Shrinking violet. Not at she, all. She not she all. just seems to be kind of quiet and doesn't entirely seem that into buzz i'm gonna say 90 percent of the time 
It's weird because by the time that he does ask her to go study, I suppose, in 1950s parlance, she's <laughs> sort of like, well, how come you never asked me out before? They've been dating for quite some time, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's never like made it official. It's like Facebook official. Mm-hmm. So like... She seems a little off put by that, but even then, it's kind of devoid of emotion. It's sort of like a she is stating it as a fact, asking the question to collect the fact about why he hadn't asked her. She doesn't seem upset about it, but she doesn't seem that into him either. So it's just very strange. But she's into him enough to want to date him exclusively and question why he hadn't asked her earlier. She makes out with them. She sleeps with them. Maybe it, she has a spreadsheet going. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. On a very old computer. Yeah. Like a pet or like a Vic-20. Yeah. <laughs> Green flashing screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on our dot matrix printer. She could print all of this out. And start <laughs> That's my Foley work. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thank you. But yeah, I don't know. I, I like the way that she interacts with her friends because I get it. But there's points where I even question it for sure. Because mm-hmm. uh, they are like a total madhouse. Just the, the four of them together save Amy. Yeah, yeah. And they, everyone seems like they're having a pretty good time at the carnival. And especially when they go to the freak show, it seems Buzz and Richie are super fucking into it. Super fucking into it. And I don't know if that is the idea of they're boys and they like weird stuff and gross stuff. And and the girls... It's to gross out the girls. So the girls squiggle and go, ew. Yeah, so the girls are are uncomfortable by this type of thing. That's the only place where I see Amy with any sense of camaraderie with Liz, where they actually seem like friends to me. Yeah, yeah. Because they're it's us against the boys because this is kind of gross. But even when, for example, after the uh, freak show where they see the, the, the two-headed cow and there's the cow with the uh, hair lip, Basically, it looks like it would have had two heads, but they were sort of fused in the center. It had two noses, basically, mm-hmm. and had to just continuously lick up spit, which is so sad. Yeah. But cute, but sad. Cute, but sad. But And then they go and see this uh, fetus yeah. in a jar, and that seems to be the, uh, the big showpiece, the main attraction within this freak tent. And then afterwards, they go, and uh, Amy has her palm red. Which... I hate this scene so fucking much because there's a lot of things about her friends that I don't like and they're not people that I would really like to... I've hung out with people like this and it's nothing but aggravating. That's when you go home with a headache at the end of the night and think, oh my God, I'm never going to go hang out with those people again. But they won't stop laughing. And okay, granted, they're stoned. Whatever, I guess. If that's some sort of excuse. I mean, all the people that say that you can be a high-functioning adult while being a chronic weed smoker um, are butt heads with this sort of image of of a pot smoker in my mind. Because they're all stoned or whatever, and they won't stop laughing and making fun of the fortune teller, which, you know, they might as well all just be stabbed in the temple at this point, because they're already setting themselves up to be making fun of these fringe dwellers, these people who live a carnival lifestyle, or people who have any sort of oddity to them whatsoever, or are foreign. They're already setting themselves up as being these, like, dumb, rich, white Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. Right now, it's aggravating me already to the point that they better get fucking killed for their behavior Mm -hmm. because they're going to do nothing but offend these people. Mm -hmm. If they can't sit on this fucking couch and let her get her palm read in peace and quiet for two fucking seconds, which they can't. I hate them. To me, it was almost the same thing that we have when we were watching The House is October Built, Mm -hmm. where 
have you ever just had that feeling like you're at you're the most sober person at a party and you just don't get anything that's happening? I get that with this because it's not so much that I'm annoyed that they're laughing. I just don't even get what they're laughing at. Are you are you is it because you're it's funny because you're at a a palm reader? You went there. She didn't tell you to come in. You went there. And it's really offensive to Amy because she seems interested in the palm reader and getting her palm yeah. read. And you had said that this uh, palm reader had been saying some legit stuff, which is palm reading stuff, right? Yeah, she was actually reading her palm. And she was, yeah, reading legitimate, saying legitimate palm reading stuff. She wasn't being all ooky spooky, hocus pocus, fucking, oh, I'm the great fortune teller. Yeah, she wasn't doing my that. third eye. You mm-hmm. know, nothing like that. Sure, she had an electric light underneath her crystal bowl. There was a little bit of ambiance like mm-hmm. that. Pageantry. She was definitely dressed up like a gypsy and not a gypsy at all. But like, yeah, pageantry. But she was serious about her palm reading at the very fucking least. But they couldn't give her any respect to. Mm-hmm. And they were in her space. That's the other thing that really annoys me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like some street side vendor. They were in her space. And like you said, they went in there. She didn't invite them to come in so they mm-hmm. chose to be there but there's people that choose to be bullies and make fun of people too so that's what these people are like i guess well it certainly would seem that way and that was the aggravating portion of that but she doesn't fucking put up with that shit at all no she puts up with it a lot longer than i would have if i were her mm-hmm. she tells them to get the fuck out and that she would break every bone in their body if they came back every fucking bone in their body yeah i love this fortune teller yeah yeah don't get too attached to her yeah, I suppose not. <laughs> I like her attitude. Me too. Mm-hmm. Gives no fucks, takes no shit. No, she does give fucks. Oh. For $100. Well, handy J's, maybe. She, handy J's. She drives a hard bargain, but she does give fucks, just not to these fucking people. Yeah. 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 So they go off to check out a little more of the carnival. And before they get to the fun house, the titular fun house, they get into some tit learnness of a different kind they check out the hoochie coo uh, and yeah. i love this scene it's cute um because again the girls are like eh, i don't want to go in there we're not really clear on whether they didn't go in because they're not old enough or if there was a whole different show to be seen because from the viewer's point of view from my point of view on the couch here there is a whole different show that they get to see they sneak around back of the dancing girls and cut a very obviously vagina shaped hole mm-hmm. <laughs> in the back of the tent which i think is adorable they're all spreading this vagina basically mm-hmm. this almost like large vagina shaped hole to look in through and see the dancing girls but it's not the dancing girls that we get to see we've already seen all there is to see we've seen the naked women in this in this show and for better or worse and what they see when they look through and what the camera focuses on is the men's reactions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's by and large what the group is commenting on. Because they they've all seen the naked girls. They had, no re- they had a real shrug reaction to the titties. They've all seen titties. But what they're really, I think, sneaking back there to look at is the pervert's row. And that is a spectacle to behold. Yeah. And when one of them comments, one of the girls comments, oh, that's fucking gross. It's the men she's commenting on. Oh, yeah, clearly, clearly. Yeah, yeah. not the derrieres. Because there's nothing gross about them the derriers no at all so i mean it's such a fucking unique scene i love this scene for all the scenes of strip bars and horror films that we've seen that focus on the tna that isn't really that interesting 
not including Vamp, which we'll be getting to in a couple weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, that's a very different time to focus on the TNA. But this one, I love this scene so very much because you're given a woman's point of view through a woman's orifice in a way and given like a peanut gallery response from the viewing of the peanut gallery Mm -hmm. that is viewing naked women. I love this scene very much. That's right. And by the way, there's something that we failed to mention. Oh, what's that? Well, Amy's little brother, Joey, who pranked her in the shower... Joey the best name for a little brother. I know, right? Just Joey. It may as well just been Timmy. Or tiny baby kangaroo. Put you in (laughs) my pouch and hop around. Well, she had told him that his punishment from her was that she wasn't going to take him to the carnival next week or wherever. Which is hilarious because they're pulling out tomorrow. Yeah. So she's just a big liar all around. Yeah, maybe it was one of those things. Yeah, fine. I'll take you to the carnival next week. (laughs) And then say, well, the carnival left. Sorry, can't can't go. Try and convince him it burnt down to make him cry. Um, Yeah, so he very Dennis the Menace-like hops out his neighborhood or his bedroom window and then heads on down to the the street, the dark, lonely road. But don't worry, he's going to encounter some a friendly, what do you call them? Townsfolk. Townsfolk, yeah. They are definitely folk. Oh my God. How you want to feel if you were a, a little eight, ten-year-old boy, whatever the fuck, and some old guy drives up to you in a truck and says you want to have a ride? No, absolutely not. I'd just run. I would just start running. But he, him and his sister are cut from the same cloth, and they just like to stand and stare at Vacants? People. Like, non-reactions. Yeah. But man, does Amy stare a lot. Yeah, she does. But so does this boy until... The wheels are turning. Until the old gaffer pulls a fucking rifle on this guy. Yeah. And then once this little boy runs away, he just, like, cackles madly. That's fucked That's the sort up. of people they're dealing with, I guess, and it's that outsider kind of mentality. And they shouldn't have ventured outside of their warm, cozy homes in the suburbs. Yeah. But, like, it is very... Uh, something wicked this way comes. It's very mm-hmm. similar to a lot of Richard Lehman stuff. You got Stephen King vibes and that uh, girl that wrote that Jack in the Box story that we read a couple episodes ago. Hmm. Me. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a fun premise. A kid sneaking out to go and see the carnival at dark. I love the premise of this. Juxtapose with the teenagers who are there to fuck shit up in a way. Mm-hmm. I really like that. So by the time the little boy gets to the carnival, they will have fucked shit up. And it just spells bad news for everybody, really. Joey does see them when he's at the carnival because he does sort of poke around. He does. He goes into the fun house. He takes a little ride and, and comes out afterward. And he sees mm-hmm. them what, uh, hanging out and kissing and stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't think that he really wants to get discovered, although I would assume that I would, if I were in his position, I would assume that he would want to make his presence known at some point so he could, at the very least, get a drive home. He probably knows they're not going to be leaving till late, so that's pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah, he knows where the charger is parked. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. He'd probably just hang back until... If it looks like they're getting tired or something, then be like, hi, <laughs> give me a ride home. I snuck out, whatever. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, but it's weird because, I mean, this Joey doesn't have any money. So he can't really do anything at the fair except be there. Like, he can't really go on the rides. I don't know if he doesn't have any money. Well, maybe not. I bet you my eight-year-old nephew has more fucking money than I do right now. I think so. Well, yeah, he charges everyone ten bucks for anything. The kid barely lifts a finger without charging you money. 
I was that kid. I would uh, cut grass for $10. This kid would say his ABCs when he was three for $10. Mm. Oh, yeah. He started early. He probably has more money than me right now. I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, if he busted out and went to the carnival after dark, he'd be rolling. He'd have, like, probably 100 bucks. And in 1981, that's, like, a sex. You could buy sex with that. And someone will. Yeah. While we're here, we keep seeing a lot of the carnival folk. A lot of the carnival barkers themselves. And then we see, uh, what do you want to say about this one guy? He's not barking. He's just talking. He's growling. He's doing a 1980s horror trailer. Basically. Come yeah. to the fun house. But that 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 not so deep. There's, there's such a weird tinge to watching horror movie trailers from the 1980s and late 70s. There's just a... A tone in the narration that I don't think it could be duplicated because I think a lot of it is the gear that they were using uh, as opposed to the voice work. But it's fucking great. And this guy's just doing it. Yeah, he is basically reciting things that you could just drop into trailers for the fun house. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah. I I would just say, hey, by the way, we're going to save some money on a trailer house and we're just going to. He's doing the creepy Barker thing, too. You'll notice when you're walking through a carnival and Barkers are doing their thing, they're not really looking at anybody in particular. Yeah. They're looking around the crowd. They're not making eye contact with people unless you're within, like, a certain whatever that comfort zone is to them. Say you're five feet away, and then they pinpoint you, and then they start to hypnotize you, and all the money just floats out of your pockets. It's the weirdest thing. But, like, they're not really make, making eye contact. They're saying their spiel, and they're doing their job. And the people that are walking past, like, that's the point of it. Not the point of it isn't to uh, lure in the marks necessarily. They know it doesn't work like that. But it is to just continue with the continuous reel. They're no different than the Calliope music mm-hmm. as far as a carnival ambience goes. But he's bucking that trend. And he's making direct eye contact with one or two people and saying in these, like, low, guttural, monotone things. It's, it's the creepiest thing. And he makes eye contact with Amy. Which is cool because she's real good at eye contact and she stands there frozen like a deer in headlights. So we get to hear a, a many lines of this guy's fun house, trailer voice, anti-barker attitude. It's cool. It's really cool. I like this guy a lot. And behind him, for more ambience, has the fun house in all its glory and his assistant, who's wearing a huge Frankenstein mask, who pushes the cars just to start it on the tracks and then the tracks pick up and drag you through the fun house. But yeah... I like the the look of this creepy carnival barker and his assistant with the Frankenstein mask on. Mm-hmm. You know, according to the Wikipedia, I think that this one actor played all of those carn- carnival barkers. According to this, he played the strip show one, the freak show one, and he was Conrad St- uh, Stracker, the funhouse barker. <laughs> it was one actor all made up differently. According to this, like unless I'm reading that wrong. Oh, he really is. I thought that he looked similar to the guy in the freak show too. And I, I was just thinking that they look similar because Carnies all kind of look the same, don't they? <laughs> well, there you have it. One actor, all kinds of different performances. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, see, sometimes it pays to have notes. <laughs> it does. It does pay to have notes. I, w- I, I brought my book. Did you take any notes? No. I watched the movie. Did you draw a picture of a duck? No. On a hot plate? No. No. A two-headed duck? No, although had I had my book in my hand, I might have. When we get to the funhouse, now the look of the funhouse is fucking incredible. And I wish 
I wish that the last I went to a, a, a carnival like last year and uh, I went to uh, there was a haunted house and the art on the outside was fucking gorgeous. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you can see I took a bunch of images there when I when I was there. But one of the things that I, I had to say about it was that it was very short. It was very, very, very short. So and it was made for kids. I barely f- sat in the fucking car, uh, could fit in the cart. Like my knees were like pinned, and the guy was like, "Wow, you don't even need to strap yourself in." Eh? And I was like, no, "No, I'm not getting out of here unless I'm dead." Mm. And so uh, I went with uh, I just went with that, and I went inside, and it was cool. They have dummies and some mild animatronics, but this funhouse, this funhouse is where it's fucking at. It almost feels like it almost feels like. It's a traveling fun house with other shit around it. Which is the other thing, you know, where I, you know, I don't like picking holes in this plot because it is written very well and it's very fun. And so we have the one thing where Amy's telling her brother she's going to take him on the weekend to the carnival, but it closes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like she wouldn't have known that because this is all over the radio. Everyone knows when the carnival's in town. So that sort of bothered me a little tiny bit. But the fact that this looks like a permanent structure, Mm. once you get inside, and this isn't a uh, Doctor Who thing where it's bigger on the inside. It's not only bigger on the inside, it seems to have a house attached underneath of it, which Mm. is, okay, kind of surreal. Are we supposed to just suspend disbelief and believe that we're in the Twilight Zone now or something? Or is it just that big of a vehicle that... It's a trick of the eye, and we could map all of this out spatially, and it would make sense. But I don't think it would. I mean, is especially this, when you get into the third level. Yeah, is this property for carnivals, and so there's built-in basement structures <laughs> that you just snap on the fucking haunted house. Yeah, yeah, I like. I don't. I really, genuinely don't know because there's not only. It, it seems. It just seems like such a big carnival, and I don't know. I don't know the fucking first thing about how to disassemble these rides, where you move them to. I don't know the first fucking thing about it, okay? So, like, I definitely admit that, but... I've seen them set up and tear down carnivals before. Um, So I have an idea of how they would, like, take all of this funhouse down and stick it in the trailer from whence it came. But you can't fit a whole house in there in Gears 2. Like, it's just crazy what they've got set up here. It makes no fucking sense to me. But, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm in a horror movie. I'm going to suspend disbelief because I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. I'm strapped in for the ride. Yeah, it's definitely cool. The animatronics in here are really awesome, and they're the part, giant eyeball. The giant eyeball is really cool. The this weird, what the, one of the more iconic images of this horror film is not really. It's not really a laughing Sal doll, but it looks a hell of a. It, it functions as one. It's this giant, almost like this giant clown cupy fucking thing that sits on top of the fun house that laughs and one of the things that i love about the animatronics in in this is that they all laugh this hysterical chattering laugh which really comes into play later Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but when these guys are all in the carnival they make the weirdest decision ever and i think it's just because i i didn't really I've never, I don't really have that many uh, recollections of having to find a place to, you know, conduct my lovemaking. So I don't really understand the genesis of we're going to now stay overnight in this fun house so we can 
have sex. Yeah, and like when they first announced they're going to stay overnight in the fun house because someone else had done it before too or whatever, I'm like, is it like camping? Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't get it either. I, I really don't get it. I like the idea of staying in the hostel jail. Okay. And I'm forever jealous of your brother for him yeah, being able yeah, to do yeah. that. Yeah, my brother did do that. Yeah. Which is fucking rad. Um, being dared to stay in a haunted house, I'll, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I don't want some dude in there pawing at me all sweaty all night. You know what I mean? I don't want. That's not for fucking. That's not what's on my mind. So if somebody's like, yeah, let's go stay in the haunted house, I'd be like, not with you, I'm not. I'll go stay in the haunted house mm-hmm. and document my findings. Like, uh, it's not. For sex, right? I hated the idea of camping when people would... I liked camping for fishing and the quiet and writing and sketching and looking at birds and collecting wintergreen berries. Mm -hmm. Not for sex. That was annoying to me. Well, I mean, all I know is that my experience is is like I... Anytime that I've been camping or cottaging or whatever, it's the woods themselves that are like catnip to you ladies, except for you. Except for me, for, for fucking sure. I think they're catnip to guys. Thank you very much because... No. Yeah. I've never initiated anything. It's always just happened to me. I'm so innocent and pure. But yes, like you were saying, it's you never had to hunt out a den. I don't really understand the appeal. Now, if you were to say, let's stay all night here... And I, I, I was like, I wouldn't think anyone's sleeping. We're just going to like, what, run? Let's stay all night and we'll disassemble some of these animatronics and move them all around so that when the workers come in, we'll scare them. Yeah. I think yeah. that sounds like fun. Yeah. But it wasn't pitched to them like that. It was yeah, like, someone else stay the night. night. Yeah. And anyway, they all get down. They all get down in, in this fun house just a few feet from each other. And there aren't even bales of hay for them to, to do this on. No, but the, but the, and, and there it goes again with the idea that Amy seems so distracted and not entirely on board with Buzz or even being at this carnival, yet she calls her family and lies, says she's staying at Liz's house and then stays at the fun house, past clothes, and then has sex with Buzz yeah, this is not explicit, but I mean, the implication is there because when they all kind of come out of their hidey holes, the ladies kind of look at each other like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe that's why she's with Buzz. Maybe he's just fantastic in the sack. I mean, which is fair, right? She certainly can't have him back at her house, you know, not yeah. only for a fucking cup of tea, let alone for the, the sex. Yeah. Well, whichever. They, they, they use the fun house as, as a hovel for their lovemaking. Fun house. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> More like very fun house. And now it's just time to just chill out, I guess. Wait until morning. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe more sex. Probably. Uh, and we're smoking weed. Smoking lots and lots of weed. And oh, uh, uh, uh-oh. Whoops. What do we see here? We see our old pal gunther slash frankie frankenstein in his crappy halloween costume talking to our fortune teller yeah xena yeah and uh, they seem to be here uh, in the process of uh, negotiations, negotiations? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. be polite here yeah because uh, she's not a prostitute necessarily nah but she knows what's up and this guy wants to clown and she's like well clown yeah what does that mean you know, verb, the adjective noun. You got a clown. I don't get it. It's when you're going downtown. What? I'm just laughing at you. Anyway. No, I don't get it. <laughs> he wants to have sex with her. Correct. Yeah. And okay. so when, uh, <laughs> and I like it, she's just sitting there drinking and she's so 
uh, aggressive. It's not even that she's, she's not saying no. She's just saying, give me more money. No, are you kidding me? And then when he gives her a hundred bones, he, you would think that like somehow there would be like a paradigm shift in behavior or whatever. She's like, like, what are you doing? Come over here. Lay Lie down. down. Lie down. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, she's taking control of the situation. She's her own woman. It doesn't matter if she gave him. If, it doesn't matter that he gave her money. He doesn't own her. You know? No, I know he doesn't own her. That's not what I'm saying at it's all. It's all about the bonus. It, it's just. It's just. Um, I would have a difficult time getting into the mood, even if I. I guess if I was paying for. I don't know. I've never. I've never paid for sex, so I don't know. But I. I. I if someone was yelling at me like that, I don't that, think you gotta get in the mood when you've paid for sex. I guess not. Unless but, you're paying them to get you in the mood, you know. And then. Then you're saying. Then you're telling them what to do. He can't talk. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So he wants like the girlfriend experience or something. That'll I don't cost think... you, that'll cost you more than hundred dollars. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So anyways, so it, it's funny. Like she's shouting at him, and I, and that would be a boner killer for me. I don't like being yelled at in any way, shape, or form. So it's not. I don't have like a secret fetish, just in case everyone who's listening, including my mother, would want to know. I don't. I don't have like a secret fetish in which you're yelling at me, and that turns me on. So the fact that she would be shouting at him was like, get down, get down on the ground. What I'd be. Well, it's not about getting turned on, Wes. I don't think. Like I've never paid for sex either, but I think that. He's in a state, and and some men, not all, like like there's a there's a small, probably a pretty small percentage, who are just walking boners because they don't get sex, and this is the only sex they're gonna get. So they don't. It doesn't matter. It's a turn on that someone might touch them. Yeah, and you know what? She will, and she does. Gives him a handy J. It doesn't last. Not very even. Long, I think she barely brushes it with the back of her knuckles. And I don't know if the hundred dollars would have given him more than just that, but that's certainly all he's getting because. You know, it should have because um, his dad says that he could have gotten him a dancing girl for 15. Well, I'd say that she got ripped off because, well, when he's dissatisfied, he wants his money back. And she's like, listen, it's not my fault that you came already Uh, in a rage and in a very of mice and men rage. He kills this woman. By the way, he's always dressed as Frankenstein's monster in this. Which is okay. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good look. I like it. And I like how Toby Hooper got to squeak in another reference. Yeah. Here's Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. And it's funny because Joey has the picture of Frankenstein's monster on his wall. And when Amy gets her photo taken by Joey on a Polaroid in the closet, she sees the Frankenstein monster over her shoulder and then when she looks at the painting we sort of pan out and fade away from it and then later this fortune teller asked her if she's ever seen had a premonition of any kind has she ever seen something that she thought would be in a reference to something happening to her in the future and i find it very interesting that she no accident i mean this is a movie with the script and everything uh where now she is finding herself running away from or eventually going to be running away and terrorized by a dude dressed as Frankenstein's monster. Right before that, she also says that a dark-haired uh, stranger is going to change her life forever. Oh, tall, so, dark stranger is going to enter into her life. So She doesn't say tall, which is good, because oh. I don't want to call shenanigans on that. Oh. But either way, yeah, she does. This definitely counts as a premonition at that point. It definitely does. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there. This is where we get this idea that there's two levels to this funhouse. 
Mm-hmm. Later on, we get to introduce to a third level entirely, which is just nut bar. But they're in the fun house and they're looking down through the floorboards and they're seeing this interaction go on and the sex and the death and the big container full of money. They're mm. haul from the carnival, the haul from the fun house anyway. And the fact that there's now a dead, the dead fortune teller. I was going to say dead hooker, but she's not really a hooker. She's just a girl. And Frankie ranting and then his dad coming in and giving mm-hmm. him shit for that and realizing all the money is stolen. So there's a huge fight and freak out happening in this basement, question mark? Because it's like their living quarters. It looks like a permanent structure to It looks me. like a hotel room. A yeah. filthy hotel room. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like refrigerators, the walls are permanent, the doors look solid. It doesn't... It doesn't look like a trailer, and it wouldn't be the trailer underneath the funhouse. Like, you walk up a ramp to the funhouse, but it's only, like, 10 feet off the ground. It doesn't make space for this entire structure below it at Mm. all. makes no sense. It's totally through the looking glass now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But now our foursome has now seen a fucking murder. Yeah, Mr. Striker's not too happy about this either, because all his money's missing. So it's... Only a matter of moments before these groups are going to converge. Mm-hmm. And we would get a lot of backstory here with this. The idea of the fact that um, that uh, Gunther is this carnival barker's son. And they seem to have a, a relationship of the fact that, that, that the, the deaths that have been following this carnival seems to be the result of Gunther slash Frankie. He's, the, he's the, the, the perpetrator of this. He seems to have an eye for the ladies and kills them. A lot of the time. A lot of the time. Enough of the time. And so now his father needs to think. He needs to concentrate. He's more angry. He seems more, oh, he killed somebody else. Fuck, what do we do? We'll just blame it on the locals, I guess. And then we're going to pack out and move on, whatever. He's more outraged about the money, as you would be. That's a whole day's worth of uh, work that they're going to lose. Well, yeah, and he wants to get him out of this carnival life. It's no life for him, and he knows that he needs to create some sort of life for them outside of the carnival he doesn't want him to end up like his brother mm. in a jar a yeah. sideshow he's yeah. worth more than that yeah. which i think is kind of adorable to tie it into that uh fetus in a jar that they've seen and it says on it born to a mr and mrs Straker," which is mm-hmm. kind of adorable so it makes me wonder what the mom did exactly it's hard to say yeah but it, it's possible that the that uh if these were twins or if this was a success of birth of an individual this deformed, it's possible that the mother died during childbirth. Kind of, yeah. He, he could have gnawed his way out with them teeth, too. What do you got to say about Gunther with that mask off? What is up? He looks like a chud. He does look like a chud. He's got um, two heads going on for sure because that's, there's two noses. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, there's only one set of eyes and there's only one mouth with so much teeth. But he has two noses, so you can see where he does have macroencephaly. So he's got this huge head and a giant brain pan that sort of like mushrooms out to the sides a little bit, but mm. not enough to the point that it's very apparent that he has two heads. It takes a little studying to look at him. But if you're a squeamish like Liz, let's say, you're not going to look and study. It just looks grotesque and it just looks monstrous. Mm-hmm. But that's what he seems to have going on because he does have two noses. He's got this uh, white, white skin, white, white hair, red eyes. So it's almost like an albino type thing going on on top of all that. He's like fused twins, yeah. albino face men. 
Yeah. Yeah. But he's harmless. Well, except for all the murder. Yeah, once he's fed, he's harmless. That's yeah. what his dad Do says. Do you think that, that was an implication that he eats people? Or I is think it just so. Yeah. I think so. And that's where it seems to me very subtly cannibalistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his teeth aren't designed for grinding grains. No, I mean, they're razor tusks. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Because he almost... It, it, I, we have seen lots of films with killers that have physical deformities before. Most of them are fairly medical. You you can see, yeah, this is not just a movie fabrication. This is legitimate conditions that some people are born with. Which makes it so much more tragic sometimes when you're like, eh, it's just a hair lip, you can get that fixed. Not so in Gunther's case because there's he, no fixing two noses. Yeah, well, and, there uh, is, but I mean, Jesus. But Christ. I mean, he he looks, it looks beyond a physical deformity. He doesn't even look like a human being. He looks demonic almost he looks monstrous like truly monstrous Mm -hmm. and it looks like something that's progressive too because he's got um weird folds of skin almost like uh the elephant man which i want to call elephantitis but there's no real medical term Mm -hmm. for what he had like but gunther has claws yeah he's got fucking that's why i say he looks like a chud to me Mm -hmm. because he just looks like a monster a mutated monster yeah. Which I guess is the idea. I don't think Toby Hooper or whomever was going for medical. I think they were just like, whatever, he's... A he's def- got all kinds of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, he's just a deformed monster. He man. is a sideshow in and of himself. Mm. Yeah. And he can't talk, which makes it no fun because he's just like wheezy and stuff, which is neat that his father seems to understand mm-hmm. everything he says. Because like, yeah. don't it's, talk like that to me. And it's like, wow. I like the quiet amazing. I like the quiet moment once, once there's all this hysteria has past and all the yelling and the screaming and the 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 reactivation of this funhouse and and everything richie's lighter drops because these guys have by the way witnessed a fucking murder and they've been down to the crime scene to look at the body to look at the body just to confirm as you had pointed out when we were watching Richie is very much a dude that, like, oh, I want to see, I want to look, I want to go. Yeah, he drags them into the the cordon-off room in the freak show where the pickled punk is. He takes them around back to the hoochie coo. He's the one that's always like, oh, you guys got to see this. Oh, you got to see this. Oh, hang Mm -hmm. on, I just want to see this. So, of course, he wants to go see this dead body. It's another sideshow to him. He's got something else up his sleeve. He's the one that's fucking stole the money. That bastard. That bastard. And, And honestly... And it's his lighter that fucking drops, that alerts Gunther and uh, his father that there's even people there. I love how Gunther delivers his line. Not Gunther. I love how um, Conrad delivers his lines. He's so measured, so calm, believable. If I was in the situation, I would believe that maybe this person might not kill me or have his monstrous son kill me. Like... Last chance, finders keepers. He's not. I just want to return your lighter. Just want to return your lighter. Just Who's want to up have, there? Who's up there? Hmm. Hmm? You up there? There's no reason to be afraid. He's calm. He's measured. He's intelligent. And I'm really happy that they decided to depict this carnival barker as a measured, intelligent individual. He's not. He's di- not going to the hoot nanny. He's not like yeehaw, we're gonna kill us some city folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, almost, and, and almost like what we were getting out of the Sawyers in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yeah, right. More like oh damn, god damn, gonna kill everybody. I'm so crazy. Welcome to my fun house, you city folk. We doggy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gonna have ourselves a pig roast. 
Yeah. None of that. He's the opposite of that. Oh man, he he like this. He just seems so. Well, there's got to be some way to instill your hatred of these teenagers because so far, so they have aspects that aren't that likable, but so far they seem like kids you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that that more it doesn't make you root for the villain so much as make you very afraid for your life if you were in the shoes of these white city kids. Yeah, because this guy is very smart Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be fooled easily and he has been covering his son's tracks for years so not only are they on his turf physically being in his funhouse they're on his turf in the situation because he's also been here before and they're also like morally on his turf entirely Mm -hmm. so yeah they do not have an upper hand whatsoever Mm -hmm. except for the moment they're upstairs in the funhouse and the exit is right there and he's downstairs Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the only advantage they have right now is running, which mm-hmm. they're not doing, which kind of drives me nuts in this scene. Yeah, it's true. Now, meanwhile, we got Joey. He's fun poking around. He definitely knows that his sister and her friends have not yet left. And he knows that the Charger's there. And he also knows that they went into the fun house. And so he's still poking around the fun house. Or he's still poking around the, the carnival after hours. And eventually he's going to get found out. But right now... We have that that nice quiet scene between Gunther and Conrad, his father, where he says, you know, I've been protecting you for years and and you got to do this one bad thing left for me. You got to take out this. He's like loading a revolver. And at this point, at this point, Joey's been found out by the the we could probably say the more normal members of the carnival who are not involved in murder that we know of. And. And so we, th- I think at the time, or maybe we think that the, the audience is meant to think that he's talking about killing Joey. Well, there's Joey. So we got to take care of this kid because they found a stranger in the carnival. It's got to be this kid. But no, they seem to be somewhat aware that there is more people in the funhouse itself because. Well, two carriages came out of the funhouse empty. That's true. And we know for sure that uh, shit might be going down. Although the first death could be a very unfortunate accident. And it's hard to say. But who's going to get it? It's our boy Richie. That's why it's a dangerous place. You know, you leave it to the professionals. You don't go poking around in the back and in the gears. Mm -hmm. It can be dangerous walking in behind a theater. It's no different in a fun house. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that noose would have been there for. I really honestly can't answer you what sandbag it would have had attached to it. But uh, Yeah, and Richie gets fucking pulled right the fuck up. Liz is a pretty believable reaction. It's a good reaction. I think that they kind of all gave up a little too easily. And also, I understand that when you're getting pulled up by the head via the neck and a rope, it can be pretty disorienting and scary and shit like that. But I kept just... You got to grab that rope, man. You got to grab that rope, release some of that tension if you can, uh, depending on. Uh, but it's not like he, he goes up pretty fast and he like does, they're yeah. sort of grabbing for his feet. But you can tell they're they're hesitating because like the last thing you want to do is grab one of the feet of somebody who's being hung. Um, but they don't even have a chance to like alleviate any of the pressure. He, mm-hmm. he goes up so fast and even right away. Uh, Buzz grabs his knife thinking like, I guess I can scale up him and cut him loose like a pirate. But mm-hmm. he doesn't even have a chance to do that. 
All that's left is for Liz to freak the fuck out. And this little performance here, and there's a few other scenes with her later on that I really enjoy. I wish I could see her in more things. Um, I don't know much about the actress, Largo Woodruff, but she had mm -hmm. been a factory girl, so palled around with Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. And if anyone palled around with Andy Warhol long enough, there's going to be film of her somewhere if she was a superstar, but I don't know how close they were. Like, they did pal around, but I don't know how much of his films she was in, let alone, because no one really acts in those, uh, any other roles that she's had. So I'm going to take a look, because I got curious, because I really think she's a really cool-looking girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of uh, Liz's performances do remind you of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not only because we're kind of dealing with someone who has a vague... 70s hippie vibe yeah with the tight pants and everything like that but also just the look and then also one scene in particular uh when we get to her scene because eventually what ends up happening is they think that they see somebody coming down the tracks and it's and we as the audience could probably figure out that it's not it's not who you think it's gonna be yeah and sure enough they've armed themselves with knives and axes and all kinds of shit because all of these dummies are holding real weapons probably Real weapons are probably cheaper than, than fake ones, I guess. Yeah, like uh, real skeletons are cheaper than fake ones, too. Yeah, but fucking old Buzz fucking just axes. Do you think Richie was already dead? Or do you think he was like... In, like oh, just, I think just... he was already dead. I think uh, he was just posed for fun. I, it's a fun I'm... house, Wes. It's what you do. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I always kind of think that maybe he might have been super disoriented because of the lack of oxygen and stuff like that. But, I mean... Unless his neck was broken, he had no other damage to his body. And so I was thinking, I was like, was he maybe alive? You can see, like, Gunther and his dad cutting them down and be like, okay, you know what we're going to play now, Gunther? We're going to play, we're going to play Oopsie Daisy. Oh, it's my favorite. It's your favorite, too. I know I can see you smiling under all of that weird deformity that you have and the teeth that don't quite close. Yeah. And they like make his friends kill him yeah that could be a thing but i don't give it that much credence um i think that he was probably already dead he looked pretty fucking dead perhaps and so. then in that struggle like as richie's just kind of driving through this cart with now a, his head split quite clean with an axe uh with the axe sticking out oh yeah he looks looks fucking good i also like the juxtaposition of having buzz take the strong man test earlier in the movie yeah. so we know that he can ring that bell oh yeah does he, he ever yeah does he ever and then liz just falls between a trap door and that's kind of the last we see of her for a little bit anyways but this is the scene that i was talking about is when we eventually cut back to liz and she's in this air air shaft basically um when Gunther is menacing her and approaching her and she has uh, she has access to a knife, but she is trying to distract him. She has seen his M.O. before. She knows he likes girls. She's a girl. He's also got sharp teeth, big claws, and is unpredictable. So she needs to try and like, get an upper hand here somehow. Yeah, so she offers herself in a way. And we've seen this in Toby Hooper's films before particularly chainsaw massacre where but but this the difference is is with the sawyer family you get there's there's a there's a, a lack of sexuality the, the 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 sexuality has been bled out and replaced with sadism and murder and uh, and mania with family i think the word you're looking for is family wes <laughs> there's that but um 
but whereas this is is Gunther is a, a sexual being. He likes to have sex. He likes women and, and etc. And, and he wishes he could have more sex. And so, and Liz is a very attractive young lady. She is. So maybe, but then she knifes him in the back. Yeah, don't they all? <laughs> One of the things that I that that I, I that this film does, where I'm always not sick of seeing, but it definitely seems as though okay, I get it. Anytime that you have a person that is basically normal, except they have some physical deformities, at this point, they just become superhuman. Anyone else that got a knife that big in their back, they'd be fucked. But 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 this guy, I was like, so what are you saying? Is he nigh invulnerable because what? Because he has physical... If anything, well, he's I'm, more I'm, fragile. No, I don't know. He could have a very, very hefty and husky physical constitution and have doubled up muscles. He is some sort of fused twin. So I'm just hedging that he has double muscles. Double muscles. Well, that will yeah. definitely help against a knife. Four fucking lungs. Three so hearts. One's punctured. Doesn't matter. Oh, he's definitely got three hearts. Yeah. Look at him. Aw. Yeah. Aww. He's precious and horny. Super horny. Maybe he has two dicks. Yeah. But anyway, it doesn't go out so well for Liz because even though he's pretty hurt by this, it's not like he doesn't feel it. I like this scene a lot because you could cut, like, because he kind of, like, ravages her a little bit off screen. So all you can see is them from shoulders down. You can't see their faces and you can't mm -hmm. see specifically what he's doing to her. I'll assume tearing out her neck with his teeth. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't tell if he's raping her i don't think he is at all i, I think, think he's he simply having a meal um but it is cut off so we can't tell but if you were to stop this tape and then just play this scene in the shaft where you can't see their faces you can't see what they're doing his body motions her jerking body motions her dying body motions it looks like they're having sex very very much although you know they're not Mm -hmm. especially in the context of the scene and what has just happened you can't tell there's a knife in his back either mm -hmm. the way that they just slowly kind of move off like off frame a little bit and mm -hmm. are blocked by this weird shaft and the way that it's being shot from above it's a really interesting scene because there's nothing of course titillating about it there's nothing sexually exciting about it but if you and watching it you're like wow if i were to just so show somebody this they would be convinced that this is a woman getting raped Mm -hmm. but unfortunately it's a woman getting killed for knifing a guy in the back. It's a very interesting uh, way to shoot this scene. Mm -hmm. Very interesting way to... But who knows what happens to her body because he does end up taking it down to his hovel and his little mattress on the floor. Yeah, that's where he keeps his dead ladies, I guess. Yeah, and we get to see all kinds of slash marks. We know from seeing later, and we have an idea of the way he operates, yeah. what's happening to her in the scene. He basically mauled her like a fucking grizzly bear. Basically. He did, yeah. 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 And his, this scene is just shot so interestingly. Mm -hmm. It's not like a splatter film at that point at all, nah. either. There's a lot of stuff they don't show in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's almost more grizzly that way. In this case, when, when, when Amy and Buzz are separated from everyone else, I mean, Richie and Liz are, are dead, her parents are there picking up Joey. And uh, Joey seems to... I don't understand what happened to Joey in which now he's all dazed. I think he's just playing it up for... Part of my brain was like, did that old gentleman rape him? I know. Is that chloroform in that bottle? Is he being drugged? Does he have his tongue cut out? Yeah, who knows what happened. But the parents are there and they seem like they are super agitated. Their mom seems drunk to me. My guess was volume. Yeah, maybe. Mm, that was like king. 
amongst moms in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But anyway, as she as as Amy is trying to scream for her parents, they can't hear her through the rotating propellers like the air vents and stuff like that and i can't tell for 100 percent if joey joey knows that she's in there but isn't saying anything and then they play this thing back in his mind where she's saying i'm gonna get you and you're never gonna forget it is he saying well then fuck her then i'm not telling my parents that she's there what is that about i think it's one of two things and however you're gonna take it is how you're gonna take it on one hand it's like joey's thinking well, you know what? Yeah, fuck you. You're stuck there and I know it and I'm not going to help you because you, you threatened me. Or on the other hand, I'm going to get you. It could be like, well, I'm not going to rat her out. I'm already in trouble for being here after hours. And I know that she told our parents she was going to the movie. So I don't want to get in any more trouble from her. So I'm not going to rat her out and tell because he's, he's not thinking she's in there fighting for her life. Mm -hmm. He thinks she's in there making out with a guy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. it's mostly that she would probably give him shit if he ratted her out. But she's been in there an awfully long time. And if he can hear her screaming, which isn't clear, and that's the only part that isn't clear right here, he might be able to even see that there's motion behind that fan and hear her screaming underneath the sound of the fan because he knows she's in there. I don't know. It's hard to say. They're pretty far away. They are pretty far away, so I'd have to really go with he doesn't want to rat her out and get in any more trouble from her. Yeah, I would go for that too because it makes a because if it's the first thing where he's like, fuck you, you threaten me. I'm like, you tore the shower curtain open when your sister was fucking taking a shower and then you pretended to like kill her. And then. Yeah, who's going to be grounded in this scenario? Yeah, so. So, I mean. The way that it's shot though makes you think that he's thinking, fuck you. Like really, that narration, that that flashback of makes it seem like he is not saying anything because fuck you. But the, he, the, the actor gives no performance one way or the other. If if they were really going for Dick, if they were really going to, I'm gonna screw my sister over because she threatened. He should have looked at his father and just said, no, there's nothing. And then that would have been, oh, he's he's specifically saying that there's nothing. So I would go with maybe he's being a prick. But since I mean, he's just comatose. Like he's just, he's just maybe Mute just, staring. He, he's just had too much of a, a day. It's too much of a day where he got scared and he's passed out and he seems mildly feverish according to the, uh, the owner of the, the carnival. I don't know. Which is all a big lie. Yeah, maybe. I think he was just dressed up as a little girl and they had, they took pictures of him posed while he was knocked out on, uh chloroform oh, i really weird. do i really do something that's what's happened dressed him up like a little clown had a monkey spank him or something i don't know you have a very vivid imagination that involves a lot of spanking not usually but sure today yeah <laughs> today when conrad gets these kids cornered metal doors can't get the fuck out everything's locked he's got himself a pistol drawn this is my favorite sequence in the entire film I like it so much because of how Toby Hooper has been using this funhouse. I love the in, I love in film where it seems like the environment itself is an antagonist, even if it's not directly threatening anybody. And the way that these animatronic puppets are used throughout this film are of the of mocking, of the, the chattering, uh, almost vaguely demonic. 
in, in and as they're the peanut gallery they are and the, they are going to like trip you and make fun of you while yeah. you're on their turf yeah it, it's, you're the interloper it, exactly and 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 knowing that they're in danger and the way that conrad is delivering his lines so calmly so just methodic in and his motions very heavy hitting things about how blood is thicker than water and yeah things and like that, that you know he's gonna need his son and as he's doing this it's like the puppetry behind him is doing the work of like yeehaw crazy demonic de- chatter. demonic chatter it's almost like i'm envisioning that this guy is a demon himself and there's all these lesser like just skittering, imps chattering imps, just like laughing maniacally around him. There's all this red hue. I mean, it's just so fucking cool looking. It's very, it's very hellish. And we've gone through the looking glass, so to speak. We've gone like underground in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. They creates this underground feel. So it is very hell world under there with this, you know, calm, negotiating devil. Mm, devil, yeah. That is telling you how the chips have fallen mm-hmm. and this is what the devil does. Right. So right. it does work very well like that. And I also like how, even though we've only had glimpses of a lot of these animatronics and puppets, uh, the few glimpses that we've had and the sounds of their different laughters mm-hmm. all have very specific personalities. So mm-hmm. it's like we can distinguish all these particular personalities mm-hmm. as somehow taken hold in our imagination. So with such brief mentions, so this army we seem to know and fear. So I really like, I agree that this is done extremely well, this mm-hmm. scene. And does bring this funhouse to life in mm-hmm. the most possessed demonic way. Yeah. Those are all created by a place called Animated Display Creation Limited. I don't know if that company still exists, but that's mm. how they're listed in the credit. And I, I'd, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Absolutely. Or $450 for a laughing clown because that's about what it'll cost you, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is really, really, really cool. Uh, yeah, this scene is fucking incredible. This leads us to a struggle between Buzz and Conrad. And and I really like it because um, because I love that Conrad's like, oh, you're a real tough guy. Eh? It's just because, like, yeah, Buzz has – his fucking name is Buzz. He's got muscles on top of muscles. He is wearing a T-shirt so tight it looks like he's not wearing a T-shirt at all. He does look like all. skin. And, like, his biceps are the size of my head. Yeah, he is like, He seriously. is just fucking big McLarge huge motherfucker. Yeah. And, and so you kind of think, like, oh, man, I don't know if he – if uh, Conrad can get him, and Conrad almost gets the drop on him a couple of times, well, but he's eventually been hauling corpses around for years. Hell yeah, and he's old man tough. You yeah. can't fucking you can't teach old man tough. You just got to be old man tough. Mm-hmm. And eventually, though, Conrad does get shoved onto a blade, and makes you wonder, it's like fuck, man, all these real swords around here is pretty fucking heinous. Well, that was your first thing. You're like, God, I shouldn't have armed all my mannequins with real weapons. <laughs> oh, what was I thinking? Yeah. but yeah, it's uh, cute. And it's cool because there's this moment where I was like, oh, don't get close to him because he thinks that Conrad might have the, che- uh, the keys. And, of course, Conrad's not exactly down for the count just yet. Tries to pull Buzz onto the impaled sword. I was like, ooh, yeah, I like that. That's fucking really good. But then eventually Conrad does die, and it's basically just – Gunther slash Frankie, the, the, the creature, yeah. versus these two guys. But I mean, like, 
Gunther shows up, and if you thought the dude was mad before, the fact that his... I like that he almost walks by his dead dad as if yeah. it's just another thing in the carnival, and then he's like, well, wait a second, that's my fucking dad. Yeah. And then he's instantly pissed. And instantly he sure. does have a couple... He's already... Ha- We've gotten to see a really good trash the room freakout mm-hmm. that he's done, which was... And you know what? It, it, we know that his dad had control over him. We know that his father's growly voice was the music that would soothe this savage beast or, you know, hooker flesh or something. So we know that he's not necessarily dangerous, but he is very physically reactive. Mm-hmm. And he will trash a fucking room. And he does this hopping stomp thing. And mm-hmm. he does have a tantrum like a little kid, but in this big bestial body. Mm-hmm. So he does the fucking freak out extremely well. And it's not much different than a chainsaw dance. Yeah, right. It, it definitely gives you this idea that this person is running predominantly on instinct. Mm-hmm. And so this instinct is when I'm horny, I want to fuck. And when I'm angry, I want to kill. And when I'm hungry, I want to eat. When I'm hungry, I want to eat. And when I'm lonely, I want to hug. Because that's sort of what he started doing with Liz before she stabbed him. He was just hugging her. Yeah. yeah like yeah. a teddy bear. Just like mm, girlfriend experience. That's yeah, what he was girlfriend. after. He's yeah. for the girlfriend in the, in the In the weird fan shaft with the girl with the knife, you know. Yeah. That's not unattractive. It's not unromantic. I guess not. But you can tell that uh, Gunther's a little got the flair for the theatrics because as a fucking clown comes through the fucking window or through the door, what's draped over him like a like a Disney princess about to get crossed over the threshold. But Buzz. Yeah. Buzz has been fucking killed. Now, I don't know if it's the wound to the stomach or if he just got mangled to death. Who's exactly sure. But now Amy's on her own. Amy's got to go down into the fucking industrial zone of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It is exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's Dr. Cr- Robotnik's lab. It's, yeah. And it's crazy because it almost appears this is either another section of the basement area or this is a yet another level. And it looks like a fucking factory. And we can tell that there's hooks up there. So we understand that that is... That is the, the the conveyance. That is what's making everything work and go around. And yeah, shit like, like it's that. grabbing the the little trolleys on the track, and I figure some of the pneumatics are there to power some of the pop ups. Like, because there are things that aren't exactly animatronic and are strictly pop up, so mm-hmm. that would make some sense. They need some steam going on, so that all the things down there make sense. The scale of it, not necessarily, but I don't know. It's sort of like seeing the um, guts of. Uh, bowling alley yeah it's far more involved than you'd expect but again a bowling alley being a permanent structure that's that's the sticking point it's not so much that we think that this is unrealistic for a carnival this is supposed to be taking place inside a trailer yeah it's not it's clearly not there are several rooms the size of a a medium bungalow let Mm. alone a funhouse structure attached to the top Mm -hmm. of it so, yeah, it makes no spatial sense whatsoever. You'd have to map it out with Legos or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, really. And then see if all the Legos fit into the basic bottom Lego and if you can drive it away, not unlike a Transformer. Yeah. But I tell you, Amy's going to tangle with the motherfucker. It's her reacting to things. Not She can't stare, even though she does end up staring <laughs> yeah, eventually. Yeah, she spends some time down here just kind of staring. Mm-hmm. Especially when she eventually like fucking crowbars this motherfucker. And this is again where I was like, okay, this guy's been stabbed. He's gotten into several fights. Uh, he just got a crowbar on the head and he still doesn't really seem to be slowing down. So it makes you think, how tough is this fucking yeah, thing? Yeah, take him out like a Michael Myers. 
Yeah, or like the fucking Terminator. You got to grind them up and shit. Machinery. Yeah, you got to electrocute them. Yeah. Get them really hopping. Yeah. And then, yeah, you got to grind them in half. It's funny because, again, in this scene, Amy is looking mm-hmm. at this gear area and it seems as though this there might be a way out. But there's this dangling debris and there's these rotating gears. And she, again is just staring the same way that she stared at all the carnival barkers, the same way that she stared in every instance, a lot of internalization, a lot of, it's just interesting. And I think that what Amy is, is one of the more unique final girls Mm -hmm. in any of these, because she's not overly hysterical. She um, doesn't really have a, she doesn't really talk that much. And she doesn't fuck up a lot either because it's not like you think she's going to get away and she doesn't quite make it. She doesn't keep getting dragged back into this hellscape. She is calculating, lost in thought a lot of the time. So you almost think that she's going to make, and she seems to opt to make no motion over any bad mistake. Mm -hmm. But as she's in the final struggles with uh, Gunther, as this guy's getting pulled into the fucking gears again. Just watching. She's just watching. Like, just watching. And it's funny because they Toby Hooper could have gone a lot more gory with this scene. A lot more gory. I mean, I... But is it realistic? I mean, when you're getting ground in half by two giant clock gears, does your intestines really pop out your mouth? It's hard to say. I mean, I don't know. I know that the pressure... The pressure of your torso getting pinched like that, there would be some kind of rupturing if the skin ruptured. If it doesn't rupture, though, and it's all contained, that might be... I mean, for all we know, he's fucking pouring blood from his anus. I don't know. Okay. He's also got double the muscles of a normal gentleman, so he could Mm. be taking it. It looks like the gears are giving a little bit, too, on their fittings because they were tightly together, Mm. you know, like gears usually are going tooth to tooth, right? So when he's stuck in there, they've moved apart probably about three inches and like even if you know you're only like if your waist circumference is like 40 inches or whatever once you get fed through gears you're talking about width now (laughs) yeah you can crunch down to the width of your spine pretty Mm -hmm. easily without even breaking the skin all the stuff squishes around in there pretty good yeah, I guess. I guess perhaps... you got your whole diaphragm and your lungs can collapse and fill up with guts. Yeah. So he could just have everything squished way up. Or That's be true. bleeding out his anus, which I tend to think is an interesting graphic. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, for me, I just guess if this movie was made in the 90s or higher. Like th- Saw era. This, this guy would have been turned into hamburger or. Yeah. We'd have blood on the walls and on our face. And bisected. Screaming. Bisected at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen like people cut in half by um on train tracks. I was going to say I've yeah. seen that too. And that's what this this is what not what we're hoping for cuz we're not well okay, it's what we're hoping for. Hoping to definitely see him get cut in half by these gears cuz that's what they should do. Mm-hmm. Like stronger than a bear trap which can cut a leg off. Mm-hmm. These are huge massive machine gears that are designed to basically pull locomotives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like why he doesn't get cut in half, whatever. But that's the decision of Mr. Hooper, who's often, it seems, likes to err on the side of no blood. Mm-hmm. And have you painted all in your mind? That's true. For a guy that is known for so... As the guy that is known for splatter movies, 
right? That's what people associate him with. Yeah. Just super gory, dark stuff. I mean, I, and this isn't even really a matter of, oh, pretty tame by uh, today's standards. No, no because... One, no one complains when Toby Hooper cuts away. No. People complain about that in every Friday the 13th. People complain about that in all sorts of horror movies. But no one, I've never heard anyone complain about Toby Hooper cutting away, but they're more apt to think they saw something they didn't. Yeah. Like the infamous hook scene and all that. Yeah. And there's even scenes in this where, you know, when you think about it, it really wasn't that gory. And they do cut away and they block out a lot of the gore mm -hmm. that could have happened. Mm -hmm. Even the axe in the head, we don't see it till the aftermath. And maybe it's a question of the practical effects not being as effective on screen who knows but uh, this is a really good we we get a very long look at him stuck in the gears mm -hmm. but no gore yeah the goriest thing would be where uh honestly Carmilla fakes uh, is on the magician stand yeah and gets the stake in her heart and spits out all that blood that might be the goriest thing in this movie no i don't know um Gunther's dad gets a good mouthful of blood when he gets impaled there, too. That's true. That's not so bad. True. But yeah, Camilla is one of the goriest, the bloodiest scene. Yeah. Sure. Do you, do you, did you think that as Amy now in a daze, her final girl walk of shame, walking out of a fun house, wearing the same clothes as yesterday, but they're all torn, her hair is a flutter. Did you think that the carnival people were not going to let her leave? Part of me, yes, but maybe they're not entirely aware of what goes on in there. That is also my thought. I think it might be one of those things that's known in hushed whispers. Also... Well, I don't know. If if it were, do you think that Xena would have gone down there, the fortune teller, to be good, alone? That's a good point. And have sex yeah. with Gunther if she knew he was a cannibalistic killer that preyed on women? Mm-hmm. I think she's smarter than that. But she was smarter than that. That's for, yeah. that's a very good point. So I don't know. I don't think so because none of them moved to stop her. And they, you know, maybe, you know, girls leaving the carnival in the morning with the walk of shame, quote unquote, is a normal thing. Yeah, you never know. So they're used to seeing that. And look, like, for God's sakes, look at the people that are in this carnival like toby cooper collected like the craziest yeah wildest you have old ladies screaming about god is watching you there's like an old dirty drunk guy that's just wandering around. i like that guy a lot he's yeah. eye catching and i do wonder like you'd asked do you think he recruited from a carnival very well could have he seems to be really good at finding just outlandish looking people in casting so mm. who knows yeah i don't know he seemed to find a two-headed cow pretty easy, too. So maybe it was cast from a carnival. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I like that. I like that. <sighs> well, thank you for bringing this one uh, to the show, Wes, because God damn it, I had fun with it. Well, I thought you would. And, and, and you know, we were, uh, we're getting close to the hundo. We're getting real close. We got one more. And we seem to be really tackling things that have been on our list from almost the beginning. Definitely. Yeah. So what do we got next for him? Up next, we have Scarecrows. Another thing I haven't seen. Another thing that's been on the list for a very long time that I've almost bought twice in the past two <laughs> years because I wanted to see it. So I've been waiting mm -hmm. for this one. And yeah. it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. I like the idea that Scarecrows, you know, I am overdue for a cornfield. So please tell me there is a cornfield in this film. 
There is a very big cornfield. Good, because I'm all about the big cornfield. Hell yeah. You know, I really did enjoy this, um, especially coming out of uh, being able to visit Chris in Pennsylvania, where there, I didn't see them cornfields, but there are mm-hmm. all sorts of farming communities with the Amish there. And getting to see deformities, pickled punks, all the skulls, the beautiful wall of skulls at Muter, mm-hmm. and getting to see the Bazaar Bazaar and Professor Ouch's auditorium. Coming out of all of that, like you're right to say that this movie, The Fun House, is definitely up my alley. It pushes a lot of Lydia buttons. Yeah. But it's just convenient that I had gotten to experience a lot of my favorite things like two-headed turtles and then get to watch this right back to back. It's just kind of cool. So... Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. It's always my pleasure. And that's what we do here at the Dead Air Podcast. We like to show each other movies that the other one probably is going to like a lot. One thing that I did do when I was at Bizarre Bazaar at the auditorium. Oh. You're not supposed to snap pictures, but I snuck a picture. Whoa. Uh-huh, because I'm bad like that. Hey, this is a sting. This is a sting. Everyone, this so I pod- took a picture at the auditorium. <laughs> I was afraid to tag it on Instagram because I didn't want them to not like, not like me because I do want to go back there someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took a picture of a two-headed squirrel and posted it for Tomb Dragomir because he posts squirrels quite often. He does. Squirrels are his friends. Yeah. Him and Emma do get along with squirrels. Squirrels seem to like them. Yeah. And I, I don't blame them. Squirrels have good taste. Um, but a two-headed squirrel, I didn't know if he'd seen it before, but yeah, I had to post it for him. And all over my holidays, I didn't go on Facebook a lot, but I did see over that week that Tomb is doing a soundtrack for another short horror film, mm. which is super cool. So if you've seen Ghastly's, you know what sort of like audio mayhem that he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to like new Tomb. I'm always looking forward to new Tomb Dragomir. Yeah, so. yeah. It's always great. You know, Tomb's friend of the show. He's he's uh, the, the genesis of the show. I'll just keep feeding him pictures of squirrels and hoping that like fires up his inspiration yeah yeah absolutely well if you guys have anything that you would like to have us recommend or watch or whatever the fuck for the show you can tweet me at wes a dead air knife or you can tweet lydia at typical lydia and give me some work to do because i'm going to start compiling any suggestions and not necessarily in a voting capacity but we're definitely going to have like try and take a better look at what we're being requested so that we can bring things that have been requested more than once mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we would just definitely really want to refocus after the 100th episode about making sure that your guys requests are coming in in a timely manner i know that sometimes you guys request movies and it takes a really long time but it would be really great for us to sort that out so yeah especially when we're gonna be on a little tighter scheduling yeah and it never hurts to uh recommend sometimes you guys recommend us stuff and then we forget about it, so or we don't get a chance to write it down or something like that. I know, I I, I know in my brain a, a couple of things that are coming up that uh, fans have requested. But again, don't be shy. You can go to spottedpictures.net or you can go to our SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes. Uh, you can leave reviews or anything like that that you want to do. It really helps out the show. Definitely check out spottedpictures.net because there are some changes and new additions. In the Splatter Pictures household. There are new additions. So I started a brand new podcast. And I did it when Lydia was away because... Behind my back. Behind your back. <laughs> no, I posted I, I posted out to Twitter and to Facebook this idea. And I said, what would you guys think if I read your comic books? 
horror comic book specifically and it seemed to get a nice reaction and so i said well okay fuck it let's do this so the podcast is called panels of blood and what the show is is i read horror comic books that i think are particularly good not only read them it's it's awesome and um when wes says i'd like to read a horror comic on a podcast i know him well enough and in the way he operates and the way his brain works that it's not just he's going to sit down and boringly read you the text of a comic book there is drama there's drama yeah. there is explanation of the panels mm-hmm. there is a very good grasp on the motivation of the artists and how the letterers are working with the script and it's it's brought to you the way you want a comic book brought to you and it does nothing but entice you to buy the comic book and that's really great for someone like me because i don't read a hell of a lot of comic books but i'm always very interested in them i just can never justify bringing things into i'm very picky about what i bring into my house and i'm never going to just read them in the stands because that's rude so i've always been curious especially vampirella which i have flipped through vampirella mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and i know what she looks like and everybody knows what she looks like yeah i, mean, yeah. I know people with vampirella tattoos for crying out loud yeah, yeah. so she's a star mm-hmm. so i was tickled to mm-hmm. see Panels of Blood. Yeah, Panels of Blood is really cool. I decided to start off with Vampirella just because of the fact that I love the character so much. Vampirella is one of those characters that are that is in my uh, monthly poll list. I get the new Vampirella books every time that they're out. And also, I've talked about Nancy Collins' work on the show before. I've talked about the fact that, you know, this is... Uh, this is a woman who has dedicated her life to writing vampire fiction, and, and she's been involved in horror. I mean, she's written awesome horror comics before. If you've never read Jason versus Leatherface, fucking do yourself a favor. It's super cool. But, I mean, this is a person that was bringing a lot of legitimacy to a character that maybe upon the surface you might look at her and say, oh, it's a, it's a hot chick in a bathing suit. I'm not, I, I don't want to read this. This is going to be stupid. It's not. It's really, really good. So that's why I decided to start with that one. And it's going to be more of that. It's going to be all kinds of horror comics from the past and from the present. And uh, your guys' recommendations, too. It's all about this podcast, uh, Dead Air, was about exploring my love of horror movies. And so I think Panels of Blood is just going to be a simple, short podcast about exploring my love of horror comic books and my need to share it with people. Mm-hmm. And I like you did have a small shout out to our creep show episode, which is where we've only been able to indulge. And I even said on that episode, like, I'm really proud of this because uh, we get to get you to talk about comic books. <laughs> and yeah, if people blinked and missed it, that you work in comic books, it's a really good addition to that. So I'm super proud. And I'm really I love the show. So mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. should tune in. Thank you. Thank and you that's, so that's much. That's what Wes did while I was away. That's yeah, that's yeah. OK. I went behind his back and recorded a podcast, too. So fuck yeah, it's that. true. You're always on there for a, a BTK. And I just think that it, it's just, you know, more content for you guys. You know, we, we make promises that there's going to be more on Splatter Pictures. And uh, so this is just our way of saying, here's more content. You want more shows? Well, here's another show. Yeah. No. So tune in to Panels of Blood. Go and check out. Me and Chris did uh, Art of the Devil 1, sort of, but mostly 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fun episode. If you ever wonder how me and Chris interact, you can hear us quote Greasy Strangler at length <laughs> during that episode. It's super fun. Yeah. And... Of course, stay tuned for our next episode as well, because even though we're going to go bi-weekly after episode 100, we're still going to be doing this, because I wouldn't want to do anything without it till we hit episode 200, and then we'll 
recalibrate. Okay. <laughs> That'll take us a while, though. That'll take us a while. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.